All right, grab your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter Dose. We're going to read Acts chapter 2. This is from the New English Translation. So listen along. I know you might have CSB is another thing, other translations, but follow along in, in your in your Bibles. Now, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a violent wind blowing came from heaven and filled the entire house where they were sitting. And tongues spreading out like a fire appeared to them and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven residing in Jerusalem. When the sound occurred, a crowd gathered and was in confusion because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Completely baffled, they said, aren't these all who we hear speaking Galileans? And how is it that each one of us hears them in our own native, tongue, native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and the province, province of Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, were all, we hear them all speaking in our own, lang- own languages about the great deeds God has done. All were astounded and greatly confused, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others jeered at the speaker, saying, Ha ha! They're drunk on new wine! But Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed them, You men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, know this and listen carefully to what I say. In spite of what you think, these men are not drunk, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it will be, God says, that I will pour out my spirit on all people, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And I will perform wonders in the sky above and miraculous signs on the earth below blood and fire and smoke and clouds of smoke. The sun will be changed to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. And then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man clearly attested to you by God with powerful deeds, wonders and miraculous signs that God performed among you through him, just as you yourselves know. This man who was handed over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you executed by nailing him to a cross at the hands of Gentiles. But God raised him up, having released him from the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held in its power. For David also says about him, I saw the Lord always in front of me, for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My body also will live in hope because you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor permit your Holy One to experience decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of joy with your presence. Brothers, I can speak confidently to you about our forefather David, that he both died and was buried. And yeah, over there, his tomb is with us to this day. 
So then, because he was a prophet and knew God had sworn to him and with an oath to, set, to seat one of his descendants on his throne, David, by foreseeing this, spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his body experience decay. This Jesus, God raised up, and we are all witnesses of it. So then, so then, exalted to the right hand of God, and having received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he says, he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now, therefore, let all of the house of Israel know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. They were acutely distressed and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, What should we do, brothers? Peter said to them, Repent, and each one of you be baptized in the name of of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all those who are far away, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. With many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Save yourself from this perverse generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Reverential awe came over everyone, and many wonders and miraculous signs came about by the apostles. All who believed were together and held everything in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and distributing the proceeds to everyone, as anyone had need. Every day they continued to gather together by common consent in the temple courts, breaking bread from house to house, sharing their food with glad and humble hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number every day those who were being saved. Lord Jesus, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would open up your words to us here this morning. God, that as we have repented and believed upon the name of Lord Jesus, that you have given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit here upon us and within us this morning. Let you be living waters bubbling up within us eternal life, Lord Jesus. Open up your heart to us. And let us encounter your presence here today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right. We got through an entire chapter of Scripture. All right. Now, what are some, okay, if you were to think about what are some of the stereotypes of, of men? Arrogant. What's that? Slobs. Slobs. Arrogant. Arrogant? Okay. Arrogant. <laughs> Good save. <laughs> what are some stereotypes of, of men, right? Just, just in general, like some fun ones, like dad jokes, right? As soon as like, the, you know, as soon as, you know, the, the, the wife, you know, pushes the, the baby out, right? it's like almost as though like there's this weird thing that clicks in our minds. Like, I must tell dad jokes all the time to my children. 
What? <laughs> dad, I'm hungry. Well, nice to meet you. Hungry, I'm dad. <laughs> no, I'm hungry, Jackson. Oh, nice to meet you, hungry Jackson. I'm hungry, dad. <laughs> It's like, you know, the stereotypes. You're never saying anything cool ever again. Once they become fathers of teenagers. You guys know. You know. You know. <laughs> oh, wait, sorry. He's right there. <laughs> right? It's in like, even if adults start to speak things ironically, you know, the, the modern day lingo, like, that's lit, yo. That's lit, fam. It automatically becomes uncool. Like, I, I've got to stop saying this immediately. Right? <laughs> What about, you know, they never ask for what? Help. Directions, right? You know, but I think there's some validity to this. I don't know if it's all guys, but it's almost, it feels like whenever I go to some place for the first time, I can just instinctively know how to get there every time after that. Like, I don't have to remember exact turns. Like, I know how to get there. I don't know. It, it could be that's where it comes from. Maybe. And then someone moves a sign on us or something. <laughs> someone cuts down a tree. You know, but, uh, you know, never follow the written instructions. I can do it better. Or I can do it just as fine. But what happens when they actually pull out the instructions? Things go well. Like Jackson, you know, had his birthday party on Friday, like I said, and he got all these Lego sets. Amazing Lego sets, right? Super intricate. And this kid, I tell you what, he was like, can I do it with your iPad? I see a QR code that says I can download an app and I can do it with your app. And it's like 3D and everything. I'm like, that'd be kind of cool. <laughs> so I downloaded the app and you know, on my iPad and he's like scanning through. I'm like, that is super cool. Where was this when I was a kid? <laughs> All right. It was not invented yet. We didn't have the internet. <laughs> so he's like, you know, scrolling through and he's following every single instruction to the T. Right? And he's putting it all together. And he, and then he puts them together. I'm like, that is amazing. Super cool. Oh, so that's what happens when you follow instructions. Oh, super lit. Totes fam, totes fam, jelly fam. <laughs> Don't be salty. Anyway, but doing things the right way brings success. Brings the right product it brings the right Lego set, right? When you follow the instructions, when you do things the instructor's way, the creator's way, it turns out the way that the creator intended it. Now you know I'm talking about, not talking about Legos anymore. When we do things the creator's way, it turns out the way the creator intended so the point here this morning that I, that I want to draw out from this is the joy of change is that it leads us into right living, which brings life, healing, and more great joy. The joy of change is that it leads us into right living. Another way of saying right living would be righteousness, as the Bible would call it. Righteousness, which is basically another way of saying right living. Live right. You gotta live right. You gotta do it. But living right means living and producing life the way that the Creator intended it to be. There's a word called shalom. I know we've talked about several times, but just to reiterate, the word shalom in the Old Testament, in Hebrew, means flourishing. 
Not, it means peace, but not in the sense of like, like lack of conflict, but flourishing. The way in which God created all things to be in the beginning, that is what we're trying to bring. Flourishing. The lion laying down with the lamb. Mankind relationships being, being understood. At the fall, God made you women super complicated. <laughs> Just kidding. But it's that broken relationship being restored, producing shalom, producing right living. And when everything functions the way that it's meant to, there is great joy. Great joy. And where there is right living, where there is shalom, there is life, healing. So let's look at our passage here this morning, kind of break it down a bit. Really, my, really my points are just the, this passage broken down. So we're going to look at, at we're going to start in uh, the response in, th- in verse 37. And we're going to go through that section there. So when they heard this, we're talking about this. Now what is this? When they heard this, all of this proclamation, and but also going all the way back when they had heard the sound of the mighty rushing wind, when they had heard the languages, and now that they have heard the proclamation of what this is, what happened? They were pierced to the heart. Or as this one says, acutely distressed. They were pierced to the heart. What words do you think really hit them hard? Jesus, whom you, yeah, whom you crucified. Can you imagine being accused of murder? I could not imagine that. Can you imagine sitting as someone just reads off the charges against you? The weight of burden and strife and and hurt and guilt just weighs in your heart. This Jesus, whom you murdered, God has made him both Lord and Messiah. God has made him Lord and Messiah. The gospel itself, the gospel message that Jesus came, that we as collective humanity killed God, killed Messiah, killed Christ, murdered Him at the hands of lawless men and women. We are that those hands. It was our sin that held Jesus to the cross. It was us that nailed Him. As the song says, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. But his dying breath has brought me life that I know that it is finished. All of my sin, all of my guilt, all of my shame, all of the burden on my heart and my life was nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. And not only did he kill our sin, but he rose again to bring us life. Eternal life. 
eternal joy. Eternal shalom. And not just when we die. Life now. Life today. The Gospel pierces to the heart. But, unfortunately, not all hearts. As the old saying goes, the same fire, the same heat that melts the ice hardens the clay. The same gospel that pierces to the heart and melts the heart of stone and, and, and creates a heart of flesh. The same gospel that is powerful to burn away the chaff and burn away all the guilt and shame and sin out of the lives often works the other effect of hardening someone's spirit against the gospel itself. Like I said, there were 3,000 that came to faith in Jesus in one day. Awesome! There were hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem. There were well over a million people in Jerusalem during Shavuot. And only 3,000 pierced their hearts. The gospel is not always going to be successful because of where someone receives the word of the gospel. But to those who did receive it, to those who did call upon his name, what does the Bible say? He gave the right to become children of God. And what is right? What, ha- what happens when we receive the gospel, when it pierces our heart and we receive it? So now we have right belief. Well, right belief leads to right action. Or that's the question of, okay, now what? Like, what, what should we do? Okay, we, we hear all this. What shall we do? Clement of Alexandria says, a mature Christian forms a, the habit of doing good. It's not just that we automatically, boom, know what to do, but it's that cre- creating the habit of desiring to do good, the, creating the habit of doing and doing good. Repent and be baptized, each one of you, each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And here we go again. Repent. Repent. Again, what's, what does that word mean? Change your mind, right? Metanoia, meta meaning change or to be changed afterwards, and noieto meaning your logic, thinking what directs your actions, what directs your life, what directs your mindsets about certain things, about life itself. Change your very outlook on life. Change where you're at. In other words, this is him saying, call upon the name of the Lord. He said, when it said, all, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, will be delivered, will be healed. That's what that word sozo means. Will be saved, delivered, healed, will be brought to shalom, will be brought to flourishing. That's what metanoia means. Change your minds. And what? Be baptized. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now this is where we get this concept. This is the, the first expression of baptism in the church. This is where we get the, the whole concept of, you know, as baptism, this full immersion and then you know, the, the dunking and, and coming up again as entrance into the kingdom. 
So where all this began. But here's a question. How would Jewish men and women hear this call? Because they didn't have that process of coming and joining the Jewish people by baptism. They came and they would give a sacrifice. Well, but now they're shifting things. Now the sacrifice has been given, and now we're identifying in baptism. Well, where where does this come from? This concept is actually not a newer concept to even the Jewish people. He's he's not resurrecting, but he's redeeming and bringing in an expression of their faith and and putting it on the forefront. And that is the, the practice of bathing and cleansing. Bathing and cleansing was spiritually connected. They believed in the ancient mind that the body, mind, heart, and spirit, they believed that all these things were not like these disjointed things. They believed that they were all one thing. So to baptize or to cleanse the body, the physical, was to cleanse the metaphysical, to cleanse the mind and the emotions and the spirit. And so they're using this expression to cleanse the entire thing, the entire being. The physical act of, of, of bathing and cleansing was, was a major theme throughout all of the Old Testament. Uh, it, it represented this, you know, this washing in water. It symbolized a greater spiritual reality. To cleanse the body, like I said, was to cleanse everything about a person. Everything. To bring their conscience into light. This was a practice in Masada. Or not, not Masada, Qumran, down by the Dead Sea, where John the Baptist lived for several years. Probably where he learned the practice of cleansing the body before they ever went and transcribed the Bible. Because the, the, the community at Qumran, the Essenes, were the people who wrote, who copied the Old Testament scrolls into Torah scrolls for families and synagogues and the temple. And so they would, they would go and they have the, all these different baptismal cisterns all over Qumran, and they would go down into it and bathe themselves and come back up before they ever shared meals together, and before they ever touched a scroll or a pen to write the word of God. They wanted to cleanse everything about them. And this is where John's expression of come and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Cleanse your entire being. Cleanse your conscience. Cleanse your emotions. Cleanse your spirit. It's interesting. So in some of the research here, I thought this, this paragraph was really, really cool. So this is kind of the point that I'm trying to make. At some point during the Second Temple period, really? <laughs> hey, Jojo. At some point during the Second Temple period, rabbinic standards were formed for where and how a person was to immerse in water for ritual cleansing. The act is called uh, tevilah. The rabbis determined that a mikvah or you know action um, in in accordance to the law must contain enough water to cover the entire body of an average sized man. The, this is from the Babylonian Talmud, Eruvin 4b, with about 150 gallons of water. The rabbis also specified that a mikvah must be connected to a natural spring or to a well of naturally occurring water, like rainwater. Ritual purification by immersion in a mikvah is used for a variety of reasons, including conversion, 
cleansing before a wedding or after childbirth for women, and after intercourse for men, burial ceremonies, and to cleanse dishes used before Yom Kippur. Throughout the Old Testament, washing and cleansing were used as a metaphor for rescue from sin. That's why John the Dunker, in Mark chapter, chapter 1, appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism, immersion, dunking of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And this expression had come up as, a, as an act of conversion for proselytes or for Gentiles to join the faith in the, in the intertestamental period. So he's using this as a, we're kind of redeeming this into the church. This immersion, this dunking, this like, like a sponge. You dunk a sponge into water and it is covered by the water, but it also sucks up all the water. And so this is a spiritual action through a physical appearance. You do something physical, but something metaphysical happens. Something spiritual happens during this. The baptism in the name of Jesus was a declaration of allegiance. The, in essence, the bapt, baptism for them was the sinner's prayer. Because what page is the sinner's prayer on in the Bible? It's not there. They didn't pray a sinner's prayer. What they did was they believed and they went and expressed it by being baptized. They said, I believe. They proclaimed their faith. I believe that Jesus was the Son of God. And they went and, and followed up in baptism. That was their proclamation. That was their sinner's prayer. Now, like I said, the, the river or the living water right here, the natural spring. Now, if you remember Jerusalem, I should have put a map of Jerusalem on there again. But Jerusalem, you know, south of the temple was that, that line. And south of, of the temple there was where the upper room was, where all, where probably this was happening. And right there in the southern part of Jerusalem, south of the temple, was also a place called the Pool of Siloam, which was a living natural spring had water flowing in and water flowing out constantly. This is living water. This was, like we said, like I think I said it last week or a couple weeks ago, this is where during the festival of Sukkot that the priests would, would lead the procession down the streets of Jerusalem, down to the pool of Siloam, fill up the, the vial full of this living water, and everyone would process back to the temple courts and they'd splash the water against the side of the altar as an expression, as a, we are anticipating the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. We're waiting for this to happen. That pool that they're expecting the living water from God to come was probably where all these 3,000 people were baptized. Baptized in the very place that represented the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. They went and they were baptized and they received the Holy Spirit. This is what it talks about in Zechariah. It said, On that day a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the residents of Jerusalem to wash away sin and impurity. Psalm 51, Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than Snow. 
This concept of water and baptism all over the place. For what? And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Messiah and the gift, or as another way of understanding that is the you know, spiritual things or manifestations, the breaking through of God's Holy Spirit into this world. That's what it is, this gift. You will receive the breakthrough of the Holy Spirit. You will receive the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in you, upon you, in you, through you, for you, with you. This baptism, like the sponge, it's on you and in you and throughout you, coursing through every part of your being. That is what the Holy Spirit does in your life. They had been waiting for it, anticipating. They thought it would never come. And now it's here. It's finally here. It's a two-for-one deal. You get salvation and you get the Holy Spirit. Woo! It includes the presence of God. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So if you have the Holy Spirit, you have freedom. You have freedom. Write that down and and pray through that word this week. What does it mean to have freedom? In the spiritual realm. In our faith. So even if it ever comes to the place where we're not free to express our faith, we're still free because we have the Holy Spirit. What does that ultimate freedom look like? This fulfilled Jesus' words from John chapter 7. During the festival of Sukkot, when they're pouring out the living water onto the altar, he's just chilling back there saying, hey, if anyone's thirsty, let them come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the Spirit those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit. For the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. This is the Sukkot promise, now fulfilled in Shavuot, Pentecost. Anyone who believes in Jesus will have streams of living water bubbling up, flowing out of him and her. And what is that Holy Spirit? As Paul says in Romans 8, and if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through His Spirit who lives in you. That's not a future thing. That's a now thing. Because He's going to give life to what? Your mortal body. Because we know through Revelation that we know that we will receive a new heavenly glorified body. This is talking about here, now. Your your mortal bodies are brought to life through His Holy Spirit that lives in you. That is the stirrings. That is the rumblings of Pentecost. That is the goodness. That is the glory. That is the joy of our salvation. The gift is the possession indwelling Spiritual awakening and resurrection of our lives by the Holy Spirit's presence now, today, in every circumstance, in every trial, in every disappointment, in every celebration, 
in every Christmas convoy celebration, in every loss of a loved one. This is what he said. For this promise, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. As many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. This promise is for you. He's He's talking to this Jewish nation who's gathered for Shavuot. You, it's for you. You know this. I've just talked about this. It's for you and for everyone who's far off. This is maybe all the people he's including of of the Jewish nation who couldn't make it, who are either nominal Christians or incapable of making their way to Jerusalem for the feast. And for all those who are far off, probably also includes the Gentiles because this is now the explosion of the gospel to all Gentile nations. 3,000. Because we kind of wrap up our time here with this. 3,000 people. Came to faith. If you look on the back of your note sheet there, you'll see a big map. It's the same one I did last week, but I, be, I made it bigger and in color. <laughs> this map shows where all of the 3,000 people were from because of, verse, of those first verses in Acts 2. But I want to focus specifically, you know, we talked about this when we were studying um, Romans a long time ago, about how the, the church in Rome was begun began. And that starts here, where it talks about here, visitors from Rome in verse 10 there. Visitors from Rome. The gospel went out to all of these countries because what happened after Shavuot? Did they stay together in the temple and doing all these things together? No. Thousands of them went home. And as we know, and as we'll see in the next couple chapters, 2,000 more people came to faith in Jesus. So we have now 5,000 Usually just men are counted. So not counting women and children, descendants that are not counted. We've got like ten, at least 10,000 people who are going back, going out into the world. This is the fulfillment of Acts chapter 1-8. Starting in Jerusalem and Samaria. And then what? To the ends of the earth. So right here. Boom. We got it. Ends of the earth is accomplished within the first weeks of the gospel message being out there. Because all these people who came together for Shavuot, now there may have been several people that stayed behind for a while to learn from the apostles' teachings so that they could take the gospel back to their place, back to their country. You know who's probably here and got saved during Shavuot? Two Jews that we know named Priscilla and Aquila, which we'll come to visit later. When Paul meets them in Corinth after they've been kicked out of Rome for being Jewish. These 3,000 people went out and set the stage for the rest of the book of Acts. It was permeating and planting the seeds for the gospel all over the world. Planting the seeds. And this is what Paul's talking about. Like other people plant seeds. And, you know, some people water. He's a, he's a waterer and a nurturer. He comes by 20 years later to minister to these plants, to these seeds, these different churches that were planted and thrown out, cast out all throughout the world. Because 3,000 people, and then 2,000 more, and probably more as the week progressed, 
So we're seeing at least 10,000 people going. This promise is for you. Be saved from this corrupt generation. That's, that's both. That's, that's both sides of the, of the, of the, the trench that we can fall into. We can either side in the, the wicked generation of legalism, going back to harsh religion, of no grace, of thinking that everything, that our identity, that our values is based upon what we do and that we have to chastise one another. That's called legalism and that is equally evil as licentiousness, which is just like just the, like the Gentiles around us. Just live, eat, drink, you know, live because you know, tomorrow we're going to die. So might as well just enjoy it. Do things that, that make that that are fun. Go buy that RV. Go buy that boat, and just go and party till your heart's content. Try to save up as much money for adventures, and just live life the way that you feel like it. Licentiousness, life unhinged, and without God. Life under strict control, without God. The gospel is that razor's edge that we must follow, that we are freed from sin and freed from the law and we're walking in grace, walking in life, walking in, with Christ ever before us. I'm going to live your way. I'm going to change my mind and immerse my I'm fully aligned with you and Lord, help me to change my mind. Help me to change my mind about how I think about this and how I think about that. Help me to change my mind. Help me to raise my kids to love the Lord. Help me to align my children and my my family's hearts back to you, Lord. Let me care about what you think and what you say and how you want things to go more than my heart, more than my mind. Change my mind to align, to agree. Remember that word from last week? Symphoneo. Is agreement. Lord, help me to be in symphony with you. I'm going to change my mind and give me your Holy Spirit that I can walk by your Holy Spirit. Because the joy of that, the joy of change, the joy of transformation is that it leads us into right living. And that right living brings life, healing, and great joy. It brings God's shalom. It brings God's kingdom here. His kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In my life as it is in heaven. In my family as it is in heaven. In my friends as it is in heaven. In your church, God, as it is in heaven. Lord, help us to extend is your kingdom. Let us be a people that extends God's great kingdom and be in symphony with him because we are those who have repented and been baptized for the forgiveness of our sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that brings great joy. Lord, thank you for your salvation. Thank you for the pouring out of your Holy Spirit.
Lord, I thank You for Your presence. Lead us, Lord. Not into temptation, but to, but deliver us from evil, Lord. Let us be in symphony with You, with Your heart. And let us bring that message that pierces the heart everywhere we go. Let us bring the goodness of the Gospel of Jesus Christ to a dying and, and needing and desperate world. People who are desperate to experience Your great freedom through the empowering of Your Holy Spirit upon their lives. Use us, Lord. Raise us. Fill us. And empower us, God, for Your kingdom work in this world to bring the joy of Christ to Belgrade and beyond. For it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.